Amen. Can you thank them for leading us to, in worship today? With all of the challenges and difficulties, I appreciate you guys so much and love that we get to do this thing together. I'm uh, going to ask that you would find a Bible if you can. We've got some in baskets under the chairs. And if you don't mind, please do turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to read the text and then we're going to get to work. It's on page 986 in the Bibles that we have here, page 986. And I'm going to read 1 John 1, starting in verse 5 and then going all the way into chapter 2, verse 2. So let me read, uh, we'll pray, and we'll get after it. Um, I guess before I do that, let me set this up. So right now we're doing a series called Foundations, and we're looking at some of the um, foundational elements in our Christian faith. I've had a bunch of conversations, and I just realized, you know, I want to make sure that everyone who's a part of our campus understands some of these uh, essential things that we talk about as Christians, that we don't just kind of assume everyone lands on the same page, but we actually take some time to talk through it, look at what the Word says, and try to, try to come up with our conclusions accordingly. So uh, today we're looking at this idea of sin. We're looking at the idea that human beings have this issue that we call sin, and it breaks our fellowship with the Holy God. So let me go ahead and read it, and then we'll pray and get to work. First John chapter 1, starting in verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him. And declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let's pray. God, this morning, would you help us to hear your voice? We want to, we want to hear you, and we want to hear what your word says about us. We want to be a church that, that understands what sin is and the effect that that has, and then we also understand, God, what you've done for us and the sending of your Son and the ability for us to receive forgiveness and purification, and all because of this blood of our Lord and Savior. So help us, God, in this moment to hear loud and clear your word to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we see here is that God is light. It's a metaphor, but it's helping us understand something about the nature of God. So in verse 5, it says, this is the message. He's, he's saying, Here, here's something that we have. Here's the, the basics of the Christian message. This is the message that we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. As, as Christians, we have a message. We've been entrusted with a message. We don't get to fabricate that message on our own, but God has given it to us and we've received it, and now we have it in the Word, and this message is what we declare to people. And we want people to know the, the God who is, and we want them to know what He's like. And what we find out is this God who is, is light. And in Him, there's no darkness at all. The metaphor is suggesting that God is like this light, and in another place it talks about Him as an unapproachable light, that He dwells in unapproachable light, that He's just bright and radiant and beautiful in so many different ways. That light is used in a variety of ways in Scripture to talk about life and truth 
and purity and doing the right thing. And that's who God is. In his nature, in his character, he is beautiful. He is holy. He is the the essence of truth. He is truth himself. He is morally beautiful and pure. He does what is right. That is a part of his character. And the opposite of that then is darkness. And darkness would be impurity. It would be falsity. It would be things like um, unholiness. It, It would be error and these different things. So Isaiah puts it like this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. God is the one who does perfectly every time. And to switch the categories is is a huge mistake according to Isaiah. God is the one who is morally beautiful and pure. And, And as a result of that, then, if we're going to follow him, our lives should begin to reflect the the beauty of who God is. And that's the whole point here. We're talking about sin and we're realizing that if God is perfect, if he is radiant, if he's glorious, if he's holy, then we, if we're going to claim fellowship with him, our lives should begin to reflect this. Now, I did student ministry for, for a number of years. I was the youth pastor at Central for eight years and some change. And uh, this is one of the major topics that I had to revisit over and over again. Helping people understand the nature of sin and what to do with it was the big deal when you're, when you're talking about teenagers. Um, and then now it's like, well, all of us, we're all just middle schoolers who are a little bit more grown up. So we're still dealing with the same issues, but, but when I was doing student ministry, I was trying to combat these different mistakes that we can make in regard to sin. Uh, and it's very easy to do this. One, one thing that we can do is to just be totally lax about it. That sin isn't that big of a deal. Christ came to forgive sinners, so no big deal. The other mistake that we can, be, that we can make is to be way too severe when it comes to sin because we begin to kind of work out our own self-righteousness and we look down on other people who don't live this thing out, okay? So here's, here's what it really looked like in youth ministry. On the one hand, I'm, going again, I'm trying to teach into a group of students who are wearing purity rings and trying to live upright lives and they, can't, they don't want to be around other sinners because they might catch it. And so I'm trying to work with that group going, look, that's not the way you think about sin. But on the other side of it is I'm working with students who are coming to youth group drunk and sleeping around with different girls. And so you've got these two different things that that show up in our lives when we don't understand sin or what to do with it. And so what we need to do is understand what does God say about sin? And that's what we're going to spend our time on this morning. There are three errors here. And John helps us to understand what those errors are and then how to go against them. The, the first is to deny the seriousness of sin. It's, it's possible for people to look at sin and realize um, or think this way and go, okay, I, I understand that I deal with this, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's that severe. I don't think it, that God really cares because he forgives me in his son, Christ Jesus. And that's a mistake. And, and so what we're talking about then is um, this idea that we need to live out the, the, the truth that sin is something that God has dealt with at the cross. Um, and uh, that, that idea of light shows up here. It's going to talk about it. Let's look at verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him who is light and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. New Year's Eve, we went to my brother-in-law's place. His parents have a, a home over in Apple Canyon, so it's over by Galena, Illinois. And we decided, hey, let's go there. Let's, the, his parents were willing to open the home to us, and we could hang out together. So we went to downtown Galena for, for dinner. 
which I don't know if you've been there before. It's beautiful. It's an awesome little area. So we, we have our dinner reservations at five with us and the kids, you know, so we're going to be pretty rowdy if we're starting at five. And uh, we, go, we go to this restaurant and we ended up going in the front entrance. But this is a building that's been built out over I don't know how long. And so we go in the front entrance and I realize, oh, this is a big building and we have to go through a bunch of hallways to actually get to the restaurant, which ended up being at the top in the very back of the building. So we're kind of marching around. There's all these flights of stairs. In fact, when we got into the restaurant, we went to the host table and we said, hey, we're here with a group. Everyone else is already here. And the host table, we walk down a couple of stairs and then we walk across a little landing area. Then we go back up some stairs and we get to the dining area. But that's not where we're seated. We're seated even further up. So they bring us up two more flights of steps, okay? And so then we find everyone, we're hanging out, we order our food, it's all, it's all good. But Harrison goes, my three-year-old, he goes, Daddy, I need to go potty. So we march down all these flights of steps and the bathroom isn't in the restaurant. You kind of go out of it and then down a hall. So we go down all these different steps, down, up, down, down. We're, we're, we're making our trek over there. Harrison goes to the bathroom and we're washing his hands. And then the light, the, there's a guy who's in there and he's washing his hands. He finishes up, hits the light switch. And I go, hey, we're still in here. You know, just like, can you, can you leave the light on? And the light comes back on and he walks out looking at me funny. And he walks out and then it goes black. And I realize, oh, he didn't flip the switch. The power went out. And so we look, I look out the hallway and it's totally dark. Now you remember all the steps I just told you of how we got up to the place where we were seated. I've never been here before. I, don't, I can barely find my way to the table when the lights are on. So I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I am so happy that I have my cell phone right now. And I pull it out and I turn the light on and we march our way back over there. And it takes us some time. It takes us some time to find our way back. But, but what we're finding out is that this light that God is, is actually this reality that we need. That to live in the light, to walk in the light is this reality that God gives us instructions on how we should live. And that is beautiful and that is, that's helpful. Um, the light, this is what John Stott says, the effect of light is not just to make men see, but to enable them to walk. Right conduct, not just clear vision, is the benefit which light bestows. If God is light and we're supposed to walk in that light, what it's talking about is God gives us instructions. He reveals, he illuminates what he wants us to do. And when we do that, it's actually helpful for us the commands and the laws and the decrees and the instructions that God gives in his word, they're not some imposition. It's actually God, you know, shining a light on the world and going, if you live here, if you walk in this light, that's going to be helpful for you. And he's calling us then to, to experience that, to live in a way that is beautiful, like he's beautiful, to make our choices according to his revealed, his revealed word. So the er error here is to claim that we can have a friendship with God and not care at all about how we walk. That's the mistake, that people can say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a friendship with God, but I'm going to maintain walking in darkness. I'm going to have a friendship with God, and I'm not going to listen to what his word has to say about my life or righteousness or any of that stuff. I'm going to just live however I want. I'm going to freestyle this thing and come up with my own choices. And the Bible tells us that is not the way God wants us to live, that he calls us to himself and being the light, he invites us to walk in the light. So anyone who's claiming fellowship with him 
and yet walking in darkness is lying and does not live out the truth. 2 Corinthians puts it like this. It says, what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? It's saying, look, believers who are living with this holy and pure God should actually be, be trying to live out holy and beautiful lives that reflect him. And it's important that we would learn to walk in this way. So he tells us what to do. Verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So we're called to be these, this community where we're trying to live out the beauty of who God is. We're making our choices according to what the, the word has told us. And it says that we, when we do this, when we walk in the light, we experience some, some incredible benefits. God is calling us to make this an agenda in our lives. If you're a Christian, you should spend time thinking through what would it look like for the beauty of God to be on display in my real life so that I'm making choices that reflect his desire for me. And obviously that's going to show up in big decisions that you're making, life choices that you're making, but also in the nitty gritty details of your life, the light of God should be on display. This morning when we showed up and Randy and I, he drove the trailer down and I was worried for him with all the snow and getting the trailer and getting it here. We were just talking like, hey, what if, and he got stuck in his, in his yard trying to get it out. And we were saying, what would it be like if we couldn't even get the trailer here? You know, what if all of our equipment were stuck in a trailer somewhere, you know, on the side of the road or at someone's house and we can't get it here? We got it here, but then when we unloaded everything, the stuff we unloaded didn't work. So we got all of the speakers set up and we hit, hit the buttons on the soundboard and nothing happens. And then we troubleshoot it and the lights that are supposed to be on aren't on. And what we found out was a little port, there's two of them. One of them was already bad. That sends everything to the amplification. The other one went bad today. So now we're like, okay, what are we supposed to do? And in a moment like that, what's the temptation? It's chaos. People are going to show up. We're trying to get everything ready. We don't have what we need. And we, when we stopped to pray, there was this impression that I had this thing probably from what I'm talking about today, but I just remembered God, God is mainly concerned that we walk in the light. So it doesn't matter if we have to sing without amplification. I mean, obviously that's an improvement, right? If I had to preach and we didn't have this little Britney Spears microphone, that'd be an inconvenience, all that stuff. We go, yeah, we love that it works, but that's not the main deal. The main deal is that we walk in the light even when it's broken right? God cares that you make big decisions that reflect your desire to walk in the light. He also cares that you have an attitude and a disposition that reveals your concern for godliness. So when you go to work tomorrow, God cares about how you relate to other people. He cares about how you, if you're patient and kind, or the opposite of that, if you're abrasive and you're a grump and you show up and people just try to avoid you because they know, oh, I don't, I don't like being around this person. God cares about us walking in the light to, to the degree that it shows up in how you relate to other people. God wants us to be people of the light. We need to be walking in the light according to what God has said in his word. And what, what do we get then? We get fellowship with one another. Not only do we get fellowship with God who is the light, but the surprise thing is we get fellowship with other people. We have a team. When, when we say we're going to walk according to what God wants us to do, God gives us a group of people to do that with. And that's helpful for a variety of reasons. One is more people help you to, to realize more sin, 
If I'm solo and I'm just doing my life as an individual, I can manage stuff. But when I get close to other people and they examine my life, that's when it gets hard. If I can just be by myself, it feels like there's not a ton of sin. But then you get in close proximity with other people, all of a sudden your motivations are exposed, the choices that you make, how you talk, your tone, all of that is unveiled. And God does that for us. If we're going to walk in the light, he'll put a bunch of people around you and it'll get harder. And part of the reason why is because he loves you. And he wants you to experience more of that light and goodness. You get the community and it exposes your flaws. You get the community and it helps you. All of a sudden you have a team that's keeping you accountable and, and encouraging you and speaking words of love to you as you try to grow in this grace, as you try to walk according to the light. And then also when you have a team, all of a sudden you have camaraderie. You're, you're doing something together with other people. So when we come to church and if we say we're going to be people who strive to walk in the light, the relationships that we're building are not incidental. It's not like we just come and we sit and we stare forward and it doesn't matter who else is in here. You guys get to begin to develop these deep and sincere relationships with one another so that we just know we're moving toward God together. And that's a good thing. We have each other and we can do this thing. And so the small talk that we do, is not really small talk. It's big talk because we're encouraging one another in the goodness of the gospel, and we're helping each other. One of my favorite books is called Pilgrim's Progress, and it's a story about an individual named Christian who's trying to get to heaven. It's a, it's, a, it's a story about Christianity, and this individual, one of the gifts that God gives to him is a friend, and the other guy's name is Hopeful, and that's what God does for us. One of the most incredible graces that he will give to us is when we say, we're going to walk in the light, God goes, all right, I'm giving you a team. You need other people to help you, and if you're flying solo right now, and that's your experience right now, you're isolated, you, you don't have anyone else speaking truth into your life, you're just kind of managing on your own, that needs to change today. And make sure that you're opening up to other people and sharing your, your struggles and your concerns. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And here's the incredible part. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. When we strive to walk in the light, we're not saying we're going to do this in our own strength. We're going, to, we're going to figure out what God wants, and then we're just going to get after it. Here's the reality. We will fail. We're sinners. We're going to fall short of what God wants. He's going to reveal to us this perfect path, and we're going to wander from it. And here's what's beautiful. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's the hope that we have. That's what Christianity is. It's not us performing all kinds of Christian activities. It's receiving what Christ has done for us. We get made pure by his blood and his ability to purify us. We trust in him, but we want to walk in this light. And as we do that, new things will come up and we go quickly to Christ to receive the, the purification that we need. So one of the errors that we find here then is that we minimize sin. We, we, we treat it as if it's not that big of a deal. And we see here that is a mistake. It is a big deal. We need to be walking in the light as he is in the light. A second mistake that we could make is to deny the presence of sin. So not just the severity of it, but that it even happens in our lives. Look at verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. One of the mistakes that we can make with sin is to think, I don't really deal with it. I'm a good person. Sometimes uh, before people become believers, this is kind of the posture that they have. They think, I'm a good 
person. And I can look at other people who aren't good, but I'm living way better than them. I don't really struggle with sin like they might describe in the Bible. I, I, I just kind of do my life and I'm kind of good. And I'm not perfect. Like by no means am I perfect. That's, this is the language of, of a lot of people, to, to, to think that they're a good person and they don't really have sin. And the truth is, when you talk that way, you're deceiving yourself. When you think, I don't really deal with this stuff, I don't really struggle with this, the reality is you're, you're unaware then. Part of the reason why you might be unaware is because you don't have a lot of light in your life. We, we put some new lights up in my basement because uh, our kids play down there and we're just trying to get it a little bit further along and we put some new lights up there and what does that do? It reveals all of the spider webs and all of the dirt and all the other stuff that needs to be cleaned up and, and organized. That's what light does. And if we're walking around going, uh, I don't really think, I don't, I don't really have a lot of sin in my life. Part of the reason why might be because you don't have a lot of light right now. But open up the shutters, open up the floodlights, let God shine into your life and you might find more than you would expect. Some Christians deal with this, this denial um, as we get further along in the faith. Sometimes Christians think, you know what, I don't have a lot of big, flagrant, obviously uh, offensive things that I do. I'm not like cheating on my taxes. I'm not cheating on my wife. I'm not, you know, doing anything super sketchy that would get me in a ton of trouble. And so we begin to kind of adopt this language of being without sin because we're not thinking about the fact that God considers all kinds of stuff sin. So we still do things that are troublesome. We, we still do things that are sinful. We do things that are more refined though. Um, we, we might not do something awful that would get us in jail, but how many of us are, are critical of other believers? Or how many of us are divisive? How many of us are, we, we, we slander other people who get in our way, or we do things like that. There are so many sins that Christians just become okay with. Jerry Bridges, is one of my favorite authors. He wrote a book called Respectable Sins, and that was the whole thing. He's saying, look at all these things that a lot of Christians never consider, but God in his word reveals are not okay. We need to be Christians who are aware we sin and we need a lot of help. Um, another way that this shows up is just simply people who think that if they keep progressing in their faith, they don't deal with sin anymore, um, that they can become more and more and more holy. That has not been my experience, and I don't think that's what shows up in the Bible, that, that you could be at this thing for a long time. You know what God does? He keeps showing you new things that you need to work on. That's why Paul was able to say, hey guys, I'm the chief of sinners. The guy who wrote the majority of the New Testament was able to say, uh, here's a trustworthy saying, I'm, one of, I'm the chief sinner. And he's just saying, I know, my, I know my heart. And so we need to be careful about thinking that we could somehow graduate beyond our need for the grace of God. This is what it tells us to do here in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here's what we need to do. We need to be honest. We sin. We fall short of what God wants and we confess that to God. And we experience then his forgiveness, that he purifies us from all unrighteousness. Now, doing ministry for a long time, I think most of us don't have this really going on in the way that we do, do our struggle with sin. My experience is most people, when they sin, they feel bad and they pray. They, all of a sudden, guilty conscience re reveals, I should not have done that. And they pray. And they say, God, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? And then here's the, the follow-up statement. I will do much better this time. I will give me a little bit of time, a little bit of space 
I will show you that I'm serious about this. Guys, that is not what God wants us to do. When we do that, here's what, here's what we're doing. We're building up our self-righteousness. We're saying, God, I know that I screwed up. Let me fix it. Give me enough time. I'll work hard enough. I'll show you I really do care about these things. That is the opposite of what God wants us to do because what does that do? That moves us away from the cross and it moves us toward our own self-righteousness and that is not sufficient. When we sin, we need to be people who confess our sins and find God to be faithful and just, forgiving us. We need to go quickly to him. When we sin, we go as quick as we can to the cross. We confess our sins and we experience the, the forgiveness and the righteousness that only God can give. You cannot produce it on your own. You're not that cool. I know I'm not that cool. We need to go to God confessing our sins and getting from him everything that we need. Here's the third, the third error that we find here in our text. The third one is to deny the experience of sin. So, you know, we might think, okay, sin isn't that big of a deal. Then we kind of move to, okay, I don't really deal with that very much. And then finally we land in this situation after deceiving ourselves, we land in this, this uh, third thing where we go, I don't really have sin and I haven't really sinned before. Now that's weird, but, but let's look at it. Verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. If we get to the point where we begin to revise our history and go, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm known, I'm not perfect, but I, I didn't really do a lot of things warranting any punishment or any, any displeasure from God. And you can get to that point. It is totally possible for people to land there to say that I have not sinned, but here's what the Bible is telling us. When you take that posture, you are looking God in the face and you're saying, you're a liar. I would never want to do that. I would never want to stand in front of God and go, God, you got this all wrong. But God in his word over and over and over again reveals that humanity, the biggest issue we have is our sin. It says it in a variety of different ways. Second Chronicles 6, 36, when they sin against you, this is a prayer to God, when they sin against you, here's, here's the little parenthetical thought, for there's no one who does not sin. So when they sin against you, God, oh, you know what? There's nobody in the world who doesn't sin. It's a given. Ecclesiastes 7.20 puts it like, like this. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous, who does not. There's no one who does what is right and never sins. The Bible is suggesting that humanity, all of us, are in that same boat, that we are sinners and we are in desperate need of a Savior. That's the good news of the gospel that God has made a way for people who aren't holy to live in harmony with a God who is holy. And it is through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible over and over and over again presents humanity in this situation where we sin, we fall short of God's glory for us, his expectations. We don't live up to what he wants for us. And, and if we claim that's not our experience, we're saying to God, you're wrong. And we're looking at our lives and we're just thinking, we're good people. I don't need any help from you. And God is saying here, that is an error. That is wrong. And obviously you don't want to call God a liar. So how do we deal with sin? If we know that it exists and we know that we struggle with it and we know that we never really graduate entirely from it, this side of glory, what do we do with our sin? And how do we think about it so that we're healthy in relating to other people? Because honestly, Christian sin 
And unbelievers, they have, we call it common grace. I was, Caleb and I, we met this week, we were talking about this, and, and we were telling some stories, and I just remembered this lady that Ash worked with uh, when she was in Chicago uh, doing her nursing thing in there. And this lady has this incredible common grace of God on her. She is one of the most beautiful, intelligent, thoughtful human beings I've ever met. She's writing letters to people. She's giving up her time and her energy. She's caring for her disabled husband. She's doing all of these things. Here's, here's what I was telling Caleb. She is a better human being than me. Like, she's awesome. And she's not a believer. How is it then that we deal with people? Because what we need to understand is sin is something that we all struggle with and Christians still struggle with it. And sometimes we find people who aren't believers who seem to be better at living in the light than we are. So what are we supposed to do? And here's what I want to say to you. You've got more resources available to you. You, you should be willing to pursue walking in the light because you've got the Holy Spirit of God and you've got the Word of God and you've got all kinds of help available to you here. So what do we do? Let's look at these next couple of verses uh, chapter 2, verse 1, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. First thing that we should do is we should just make this an agenda. We go, okay, what are my goals for 2019? I don't want to sin. Now that sounds funny, but we should put that as a, as a goal. I write this so that we will not sin. I write this to you so that you do not sin. We should be able to say, this is my goal for the year. I don't want to sin. I want to do what I can to hear the voice of God and listen to him and walk out my faith in, in the ordinary stuff of life. I don't want to sin. That's the first thing. And I think it's going to take some effort. I think you're going to have to think through, do you have enough light in your life to know what it would look like to walk on that path? Are you getting in the word so you know what God wants from you? Do you have a team of people that, are, that your life is open to? Do you have the resources around you to help you walk in the light? I do think one of the things we should do is strive for holiness. I think that's a great thing to do. But here's the other thing. Even when that you make that your goal for the year and your ambition and you build out some plans, you're still going to, you're still going to fail. Look at, look at the end of verse one and end of verse two. It says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Make it your ambition to live a holy life. But when you fall short of that, realize that you have an advocate. Go to him an advocate who's with the Father, Jesus. He's the righteous one. He's the one who stands beside us. And he was willing to pay the penalty for what we've done. And he was willing to gift his righteousness to us, even though we don't deserve it. It's, a, it's grace and mercy. And it's the incredible gift of the gospel. We have an advocate. I remember doing jury duty one time and just sitting there thinking about how awful it would be for this young man who's being accused of some very serious things. And I was thinking if I were sitting in his shoes the person I would want right beside me would be the most competent and capable individual. And especially if what I did matched up with the accusations. Now, here's what's true of us as Christians. We stand in that place, condemned. But we have the most competent and capable advocate who's fully aware of the stuff that we do. And he's able to say, I'm, I took the penalty for that. I took the punishment for that. And my perfect righteousness goes to them. So they get to walk away with, with glad hearts as forgiven individuals. We have an advocate like that, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Look at verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus is the one who stood in our place condemned. He was righteous. He did everything right. He was perfect. He lived his life without sinning. 
He made it all the way to the end of his life. He was killed because of his faith convictions, and he laid down that life willingly as a substitute, as a sacrificial atonement for the things that we've done wrong. And friends, as I read it, there is no other way around this. Every person deals with sin. The only solution that I've ever found in the world that's satisfying is this. The only way that we can honestly deal with our shortcomings and falling short of what God wants for us and being brought back into fellowship with God is through this. It's through trusting in Christ for our salvation. If you've not done that before, I would love to pray with you about that. Um, but, but those of us that have confessed Christ as Lord and received his forgiveness, don't we always have to go to him because we still, we still struggle? And so this morning, um, I'm going to ask that you would bow your heads, and I'm just going to give you a moment to just take an honest evaluation of your own heart and, and think through, is there anything in my life where I'm walking in darkness? And for that, I'm going to confess it, I'm going to acknowledge it, and I'm going to receive forgiveness and grace. We'll do that in just a moment. But as we wrap up, and as I invite the band to come up, let's, let's, uh, let's just remind ourselves of where we've been. It is very easy when it comes to sin to get off track, to either be way too light about it and think it's not that big of a deal, or on the other side, to be way too severe and think it's all on us and we have to try hard. The truth is, sin is very severe, but God sent his son to die in our place and deal with it. So band, would you come and Church fam, would you bow, please? Lord, we ask right now that you would reveal in us any pockets of darkness. Are there things, God, in our lives that are not aligned with the beauty of your truth? Lord, we ask that you would bring specific things to mind so that we could confess them to you and we could find purification and cleansing in the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that we have an advocate, that he loves us and cares for us, and he did everything that was necessary for us to be forgiven. So as forgiven people, God, would you help us to walk in the light? We want to show our gratitude and our appreciation by, by designing our lives and setting goals to walk according to your word, in your light, in fellowship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.